I'm grateful for you. This week, I've already heard testimonies where this church has kind of poured into people and loved people. And so I'm grateful, grateful. And I am so thankful that you care about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. Because it's been said that those who do the most in this world are most concerned about the next world. Think about that. So I don't want you to miss any Sunday upcoming or Wednesday. Over the next few Sundays, we're going to be discussing from Scripture the second coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you have your Bibles, boy, I hope you bring them with you. Would you find Revelation chapter 15? Revelation chapter 15 is where we're going to launch uh, the message this morning. All about the time Jesus Christ comes. And this, this morning, are the events happening just preceding, just preceding the second coming of Jesus. When he sets up his rule on earth. So the, that's where we're going this morning. Um, I also don't want you to miss Wednesday nights. I don't want you to miss Wednesday nights. February 22nd. February 22nd. If you can imagine, we're only at February 22nd, 40 days till Easter. It seems like 2023 just began. And here we are talking about Easter. But what we want to do as a church for 40 days is to come together praying in unison, in concert for our lost loved ones and friends that need Jesus. How many of you have your one? All right, so what is that, Pastor? Well, we encourage you to have your one. That's who you're praying for to be saved. I know some of you are very literal, so I'm not like that so much. So I have to explain. Like, when I hear that, I don't think of one. I think of all the people I'm praying for. Sometimes we say, who's your one? And I'll have someone say, Pastor, I got more than one. Oh, that's what we mean. Everybody you know. That's in your sphere of influence, friends, family, people you work with that need Jesus that you're praying for. We want to come together as a church and fast and pray for for 40 days. So February 22nd on Wednesday night, we're going to spend some time explaining how we'll do that as a church for 40 days. And we'll have extended time of prayer then. So don't miss a Sunday or a Wednesday. We want to pray. Our world needs prayer right now. Would you agree? It is a strange time that we live in. And so we need strong prayer, strong prayer, simple prayers, simple prayers. If you don't know how to pray, I would tell you, Jesus told us to pray very simply. Our Father who art in heaven. I was uh, listening to the story of some guys that got together talking about prayer. And uh, some of them had formal training, formal theological training. Some were pastors, some were elders. And there was a farmer among the group by the name of Silas Brown. And Silas had the way to pray. That shouldn't surprise us. Let me tell you how the conversation went. As they got together to talk about how to pray, Deacon Samuel Key says, the only way is on our knees. The only proper attitude is there. No, said Reverend Wright, standing straight up with outstretched arms and our eyes turned upward. Oh no, said Elder Snow. Such a posture is way too proud. A man should pray with his eyes closed and his head bowed. It seems to me his hands should be austerely clasped with his thumbs pointing to the ground. That's when Farmer Brown spoke up and said, Last year I fell in Hodgkin's well. My heels were sticking up and my head was pointing down. 
I prayed the best prayer I ever said when I was having my heels in the air, standing on my head. I think that's what Peter experienced when he was walking on water for a moment, then sinking down, and he said, Lord, help! It's sometimes the very simple prayers that matter the most because they're from the heart, directed by the Spirit. And how do we pray for a world like we're in? So join us. Don't miss a single Sunday or Wednesday. If you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter 15, the subject today, (laughs) Judgment Day on Earth. I'm not laughing because that is a laughable matter, but because these are some very strong verses. And um, if you've never read them before, and some of you, this is going to be new to you, you're going to wonder what's happening in this section of Scripture. Well, what's happening in the Scripture is that there's going to be, as the Holy Spirit tells us through Revelation, one final battle on the earth. The world right now is talking about World War III regularly. Are we headed to war with China? Are we in a world on the precipice of World War III? Is this the one that's going to end it all? North Korea, are they going to launch missiles at us and us in turn at them? I mean, the conversation is pretty unsettling, isn't it, about what's happening? But the Bible says there will be one final battle, one final battle. And in this section, we're going to see what that battle is. We're going to hear about seven bowls, seven bowls, a final battle, a bowl, And we're going to hear about the basis or the reason for this type of judgment. You might say, why in the world is God going to, in the end of time, pour out all of his wrath and judgment on the world? We'll see the basis for that here in this text. I didn't think about it when I put the outline together that we're talking about a battle in a bowl. But today's pretty appropriate to talk about those things. Look with me, if you will, Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. Revelation 15, 1, if you're there, say amen. Thank you. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels and seven plagues, which are the last. For them, the wrath of God is finished. I think you can see there seven being a number of completion. The word finished has the idea of the final act of God in wrath, but with results impending. There are going to be results impending. Look in chapter 16, verse 1. 16, verse 1. Then I heard, this is Revelation 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth seven bowls of the wrath of God. Drop down to verse 14. Revelation 16, verse 14. There are demonic spirits performing signs. They go abroad to the kings of the whole world. So when you see their demonic spirits, they look like frogs. That is certainly symbolic language. But when they go to kings, kings are not symbolic. They are real kings of the world. They are to assemble for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. So there's one final battle in which the kings of the earth, these are literal kings leading an empire that is led by an ultimate king of the earth. His name is Antichrist. And they are going against the great God. Imagine that. They are, verse 16, drop down to verse 16. They are assembled in the place that is in the Hebrew called Armageddon. Armageddon. So you, I'm sure, have heard of Armageddon before. The Battle of Armageddon has been somewhere in your um, past. We're going to be discussing that in very detail in chapter 17 and 18. But there's going to be one final battle. 
Chapters 15 and chapter 16 go together, so we're going to look at both chapters today. They are part of the same vision given to John in the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the last woe. There's three woes given to John in chapter 8. The last woe is seen here in verses uh, 1 of chapter 15 all the way through chapter 16. Chapters 15 and 16 are the last trumpet. There are seven trumpets, again, seven being uh, the number of completion, and there's seven trumpets. So here we're reading about the final trumpet, and we're going to be reading about the 11 bold judgments, the 11 bold judgments that are uh, rejoiced about in chapter 11 from elders, which represent the church in heaven, when God finally judges the world and God is vindicated and the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted. So in heaven, we're going to be there. We're going to be there at this time. All the church, those who are redeemed, we're going to be in heaven. We're going to be rejoicing in heaven over, over the retribution and wrath of God that pours out on the earth. When I read today, I just got to be straight. As I read chapter 16 to you today, what comes into my mind is, man, wow, what judgment are people going to face? And right now, it is difficult for me to have any type of spirit of rejoicing. But when we get to heaven, we see the righteousness of God and how his name is so blasphemed on the earth. We will rejoice and holy, righteous exaltation over the fact that God is finally judging Satan and all of the enemies of God. So this is not an easy section of Scripture, all right? I just want to tell you right off the bat, not an easy section of Scripture. Not that it's hard to interpret. In fact, if you're here and you say, man, I've never read Revelation. This is all new to me. I came in in the middle of the study. You might actually be better off than some of us who are approaching Revelation from some uh, past uh, experience. Because you may be coming with, without a lot of preconceived notions, and it might be actually easier for you to receive uh, what's coming from Revelation. So I'd ask all of us um, to just approach this text and say, God, what are you saying here about what is to come, and what does it mean for me now? What does it mean for me now? All right, uh, two aspects of God's judgment before I jump into the text. One, uh, all judgment is given to Jesus Christ. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 5, the Father has given me all judgment. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You've passed from death to life if you believe me. What Jesus tells the disciples, very important, and the Pharisees is, I am and the Father, I and the Father God are one. I and the Father are one. Meaning this, God is not just who you make him. A lot of people believe in God. Some think because they have a faith in a God, they're fine. There are even some who mislead people who are Jewish into thinking because you're Jewish and you believe in the Jewish God, one day you'll be fine. There are others, even in this room, who have been led to believe that people who live in other parts of the world and have never heard the truth of Jesus, if they have some sort of faith in a God, because they recognize there must be a creator, since there is a creation, that they're fine. But there is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the way of salvation, and he's also been given judgment over the world. Why? Because he and the Father are one. He is equal. He is Lord. He rules. So hear this. Hear this. When men and women reject the rule of Jesus Christ, not just God, but Jesus who is Lord, God Not just a God of our own making, but the Lord Jesus. When men and women reject the Lord Jesus Christ, they stand in the judgment of God. In fact, Jesus uh, was sharing with a man in John 3. John comes back with commentary with with this to say, if you've not believed on Jesus Christ, you're already condemned. So so just that aspect. Second aspect uh, found in chapter 15, verse 1. We're going to move pretty quickly here. So if you're, you're good to go quick, say amen. Because I'm going to go quick. Not rushed. Uh, okay, I don't want to do that. That wouldn't serve us well, but I do want to move quickly. So I hope you have your Bibles or looking on one with me. Uh, chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw a sign in heaven, great and amazing. What's great and amazing is the sign. What is the sign? The sign of God's judgment. God's judgment here is great and amazing. So, if we came in here today and we sang, great is our God, how great thou art, we would say, that's appropriate. We sang, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, we say, I love that song, belongs in church. If we came in here today and we began to sing, Noah got up here, you know, they're up here, they're ready to go, hey guys, we're going to sing about how great and awesome is God's judgment. How wonderful is his wrath. And you are, especially if you're a guest, you're like, what kind of church did we come to today? Like they're singing about how wonderful God's wrath is. I was at the doctor, uh, Dr. Scott, I was at a doctor and, and, and he walked in to talk to the person I was there to pray with. And the person said, stay here, hear what the doctor has to say. You can pray with me. And the doctor said, the tumor that you have is impressive. Now, you might think impressive. That, that's a good thing, right? No, no. The doctor was impressed by it. The tumor was impressive because of how large it was. And how aggressive it was. So when you hear here that there's a sign that's great and amazing, this great and amazing sign is the wrath of God. Now, what is this great and amazing wrath about? It's about the vindication of God and it's about the judgment of Satan ultimately. Now, the Bible is very clear that Satan is already defeated, y'all. He is already defeated. He was defeated at the cross. But we live as Christians in what we could call... The already and not yet. The already and not yet. You see this a lot in Scripture. Satan's already judged, but not yet judged. He's already condemned, but not yet condemned. One day, he ultimately will be cast out, but he's already defeated. So what does Satan want right now on the earth? Though he is already defeated, what is he still longing for and desiring? So last week I said he desires to be worshipped. He desires to be worshipped. Why does he set up an antichrist, a one world government, one world religion, one world currency, and, uh, and, and, and why? He wants to be worshipped. And somebody would go, come on, all right, that's, people aren't actually going to worship Satan, pastor. And then the Grammys. Then nobody here watched, I'm sure. Because I'm thinking like 12 million people in America watched it. So that's not many relative to how many people actually watch TV. But what we saw and what we heard after the Grammys is that there was uh, a depiction of actual Satan worship. So you're going, Satan, man, you're just showing us your hand, right? I mean, he is not a very good poker player. I mean, here you have Satan in Revelation right, 
raising up an antichrist who leads a one-world government with a one-world currency, so there's no more cash, so that he can control people. Ultimately, so that he could display his unholy trinity, the antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan the dragon, in order that he might be worshipped. And I couldn't help but notice that there was a transgender duo singing a song entitled Unholy, performing that at the Crypto.com Arena, sponsored by Pfizer, while the entire world's laughing at it and CBS tweets out on their official Twitter page, let's get ready to worship. And then the week passes on and you have people laughing at what happened and then people laughing at Christians. And one of the ways in which one magazine or article put it was, Christians have, here it is, in quotes, satanic panic. Anybody panicking? Because Satan is a defeated foe. 12 million people watch the Grammys. That pales in comparison to the 112 million people who are likely to watch the Super Bowl tonight. That pales, I mean, that doesn't even come close to how many people are going to see the ultimate defeat of Satan when Jesus Christ comes back. What we read in Revelation 15 and 16 is Satan has rebelled in such a spectacular way that God is going to defeat him in a more spectacular way. Everybody will see it and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, even the devil. So let's jump into this, all right? What is the basis of God's judgment? When I ask that question, I know some of you have never read Revelation 16, but in Revelation 16, you have God's judgment poured out on the earth in the most amazing and great ways. I mean, he is, God is pouring out disease and death and darkness, and people are gnashing their teeth and they are chewing on their tongue. It's so bad. Now we'll get there. But what's the basis of that? Verse 2 tells us, I saw what appeared, this is chapter 15, verse 2, I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. In Revelation, this language about the sea is pretty regular. The language of sea typically means that there's chaos. The Antichrist comes out of the sea. He comes out of the chaos of the world's system and structures in order to organize and bring the world into some sort of false pseudo-peace. Here you have a stable sea. That's what you need to see, a stable sea. Not chaos, but stable sea of glass. You have people there at the sea of glass who are singing a song of victory, a song of rejoicing because they have victory, and they're standing on stable ground. They are also singing about what's happened to them. Look in verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great, amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations come and worship you, for righteous acts, your righteous acts have been revealed. So here they are. They're standing on stable ground, and they're singing about what God's done for them. And they're wondering why everybody won't recognize who God is. And then recognizing who He is, follow Him. 
I wonder that right now. I wonder why some of you, knowing that you're lost, not sure that you're saved, won't repent of your sin and be saved. So here are people who are not going to be judged. They're in heaven. They're safe from the wrath of God. They're safe from the judgment of God. They're not going to experience what we're about to read about. But verse 5, verse 5 There are those who won't be protected from God's judgment. Verse 5, after this, I looked and the sanctuary of the tent, or probably better translated tabernacle, of witness in heaven was open. So John looks up into heaven, he sees a tabernacle. In the Old Testament, Israel was told to build a tabernacle where they worshiped God and was a display of God's presence. All right, everyone say God's presence. God's presence, right? So that's what it was. And on heaven was, uh, on earth was a replica of what actually is in heaven, okay? So, so then verse 6, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels and the seven plagues clothed in pure and bright linen and golden sashes around their chest. So here they are coming out of a place of holiness. What is in this tabernacle? Well, one of the things that's in the tabernacle that on earth was a picture of, and in heaven is the real, is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Now, I only just want to talk about what's in the Ark and just one part of the Ark, one part of the Ark. And that is, what's in the Ark is the law of God. The law of God. What is the law of God? What is the law of God? Well, that's a good question. In fact, a lawyer asked Jesus, what's the greatest law? And the reason is because there's so many commandments in the Old Testament that we should be um, some of them should still be keeping. Uh, some of them were for the nation of Israel during a time of uh, of rule when they were at the uh, 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 theonomy and, and, and God ruled. Uh, some of it ceremonial law where they were sacrificing to God in the temple. But there are commandments to follow. You, you, you want to know if there's a lot of commandments, right? What's the most important? Because I can't follow all of them. There's 613. I can't follow all of them. So so what's the most important? A lawyer asked Jesus that. And Jesus said, here it is. It's what Moses said we're to teach our children. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor. Help me out. Okay, so, so if you were to think, all right, here's the commandments. I'm going to put the top one is here. Love God. Love my, love my neighbor. Okay? And then the Ten Commandments underneath those two. So if I can keep those two, I don't have a problem with the Ten. And underneath the Ten, you can put all the other commandments, all 613 there, you can see. But here's, here, here's what, you, what you need to see the basis of judgment is. The basis of God's judgment on the earth is that man has broken all of God's law. We've not loved God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. We haven't kept the Ten Commandments. So because of that, there's judgment. That's the basis of God's judgment. We may not sense or feel that we deserve judgment, but by God's grace and through His Spirit, we'll come to realize, yes, we do. I'll never forget the first time getting pulled over in a car. You ever had that experience? Okay. I was not driving, thankfully. I was in the back seat, I had a friend in the front seat, and my buddy was driving, and we were going down Doctors Lake Drive. I don't know what the speed limit was then, but I'm going to guess it was 35. We got pulled over almost to Kingsley. We'd been going all the way down to Lake Drive. 
We get pulled over, and uh police officer comes, and he says something like this, you know why I pulled you over? And I remember my friend saying, no, I have no idea. And we're all like, yeah, you do. We were flying. We didn't say anything, though, you know? So the officer says, well, you, uh, you were speeding. And then my friend says something along these lines, well, I didn't know what the speed limit was. And then the police officer said, well, where are you coming from? And he told him and realized, okay, we come all the way down Dodge Lake Drive. And that police officer knew exactly how many speed limit signs we passed and told him. And so he then said, and he wasn't very happy at this point, you did too know you were speeding. And so we got a ticket and we go driving off and he is, my buddy, he is upset. He's like, it's not like I've robbed a bank. Because we know that there is a law that we need to follow, and we know the reason for the law is to keep us safe, but I'm a safe driver. I'm a good guy. I didn't deserve that ticket. But what the problem was, not, was not necessarily the, the, the ticket from the officer, but the fact that he had to go home, here's the deal, and tell his dad, and then be riding old yellow dog to school the next week. So here's... here's um, Here's what we know. There is a law in place that God has installed based on who he is. We've all broken it. And because we've broken God's law, there is a judgment. There is a judgment. And the people that are in heaven that are rejoicing that are safe, safe and saved, are those who have placed their faith in the one who kept all the law, Jesus Christ. Who didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. To do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We say that around here all the time. We can't love the Lord God with all of our heart like we ought to. We None of us can, but Jesus did it for us. Hence, you go, I don't understand the Trinity. Why would there be God the Father, God the Son? Because we needed someone to come in our place. So God came in the flesh to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He loved the Father perfectly. He loved the Father perfectly. Because we can. So when we put our trust in him, we receive his righteousness on our behalf, and we are safe and saved from judgment. Like Noah in the ark, who's safe inside the ark, while the floodwaters rise around him, we who are in Christ are safe because we are in him. But those who aren't in Christ aren't safe. We see more Old Testament imagery here, and a lot of Revelation helps us to understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament, someone said, is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And I want to share with you that so much of Revelation helps us to understand all of the Bible, all of the Old Testament, and all of the plans of God throughout all of creation. Verse 7, and one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls. Think about these as censers, these uh, golden censers that hold hot coal, which which, which symbolizes the wrath of God that's burning right now, but being kept hot and yet not poured out. Because like God is patient. He's long-suffering. But that wrath of God that is hot, heated against sinners and rebellious people, is ready to be poured out. So here it is in verse 8. And the sanctuary was filled with the smoke from the glory of God, the glory of God who lives forever and ever, verse 7, and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. This is an imagery that would take us back to Second Chronicles, where in the Old Testament, Solomon, who was king of Israel, 
built a temple and had it dedicated to the Lord, and the glory of God filled that temple because His holiness Holiness was on display so much that the priests couldn't actually enter to this earthly temple. Why? Because of God's holiness. Now in heaven, you have God's wrath, and it's being poured out, and no one can enter into that temple in heaven because of God's wrath. On earth, holiness and mercy. In heaven, wrath and judgment. Both bring glory to God. Both provoke worship. The basis of Judgment on the earth is men and women have rejected God's Lord Jesus Christ and his rule and his law. So look in verse 1 of chapter 16, because now we're going to see these bowls. I know a lot of you who are students of Revelation are like, we want to see the bowls. Well, here they are. Verse 1 says that there's a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go pour out on the earth the seven bowls of God's wrath. Now, again, this is the final judgment on the earth. Verse 2, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. Everyone who has rejected the lordship of Jesus Christ and have followed after the way of the beast, which is to do what I want, when I want, how I want, receives disease. And then not only that, verse 3, the second angel pours out another bowl, second bowl, into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing that was in the sea died. Imagine that scene. This is not metaphorical here. This is going to happen. It's happened in the past. We have ancient writings that remind us that in Egypt, water literally becomes blood and death ensued. This is now God striking the source of life on the earth, which is water. Jesus said, I am the living water. He's the source of life. Now, the source of life turns into death, the death of a blood of a corpse. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowls on, on the rivers and springs, and they became blood. So there's rampant judgment on the earth. Verse 5, songs break out. This is what is absolutely amazing. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, just are you, O holy one? And who is and was, for you brought these judgments, for they shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you've given them blood to drink. God never pours out his judgment arbitrarily or capriciously. Verse 7, and I heard from the altar, that's others joining in with the angels, that's those who are believers in heaven, say, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. I want you to see what's so shocking about these judgments surprising about these judgments. It's not necessarily how fierce and harsh they are. But I think it's here in verse 8 and 9 that we are surprised. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire. So here you have people on the earth with no water, no source of life, and now they're scorched, verse 9, by fierce heat. You would think at this point... You got my attention. There's a God who created all things and sustains all things and right now is judging all things. You would think the people of the earth would turn from their sin and their wicked ways and follow Christ. Here's what's shocking. Let's continue to read. They cursed the name of God 
who had power over these plagues, they did not repent and give him glory. That's what's shocking. Look at verse 9, uh, verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom, and it was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish. But did they repent? No. They cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. If you've ever read the book of Exodus, you know that the people of Israel were suffering under the hand of the Egyptians in slavery. God sent Moses to call Pharaoh out and to allow the people that were under his thumb to leave and go to the promised land. Pharaoh wouldn't do it. So God God sent plagues into Egypt. Uh, insects and diseases, boils and pains, hell and locusts, darkness and death. Till finally, finally Pharaoh repents and allows the people to go only, only after repenting to change his mind again and go after the people of God and chase them down in the desert. That's surprising and shocking. But it is the nature of man. And it is the nature of the devil. It's a woman that appeared at a police station and uh, confessed that she had killed her, her son. And uh, she said she had gone to an astrologer, and the astrologer had given her a written horoscope that said that her son would never heal from some mental anguish that he had experienced. And um, so, so knowing that, the woman decided it would be better to end her son's life than allow him to go on in that anguish. And she was arrested for murder. The astrologer went free, and the devil got what he wanted. That's just a small picture of exactly what's going on here. Men and women who are suffering under the pain of their sin and the rebellion against God still won't repent. Do you know today your, your pain can actually, actually be your gain? It doesn't always, just, this doesn't have to be a, a, a cliche on a t-shirt that you wear to the gym. The reason there's so much brokenness in this world and disease and darkness is maybe God's trying to say, and I know not maybe, but really trying to say, hey, wake up! The missionary that had gone to an island of lepers to minister. And while ministering to these lepers, knew the danger of being associated with that disease, Ligonier's disease. One morning got up to make some tea and spilled boiling water all over his leg and did not feel the burn and realized he contracted the disease. There's something that God uses in our lives. Sometimes it's pain. It's the brokenness. It's the broken relationships that we constantly experience. It's the difficulties of life that we are walking through. It's the it's the diagnosis that we receive. And you know what happens when we hit, get pain? We, we have to respond. And if we're not feeling pain anymore, if we're not feeling pain anymore, we're in trouble. God uses pain in our life to get our attention. Because it would be better to have pain on earth than to experience hell forever. But Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones reminds us. That whenever it is that we suffer pain, we can remember there are powers besides Christ that can give us results. It is possible for men and women to get relief 
from their ills and their troubles apart and all together from the gospel. Now, we're not told exactly what it is that those in the end times will turn to other than the way of the Antichrist, but we know today, the world we live in, where people turn when they're in trouble. We have all types of answers to our pains and problems. There are illicit drugs you can turn to. And the devil is having his way. He's not just tricking moms into killing their children. He's tricking those who are not following Christ into destroying their own lives. There are more vape shops, I think, than water fountains these days. What's going on? The Christian says the devil's having his way. He's luring people away from their pain by giving them other, other answers, other ways. Today, there will be lots of people. I told you 112 million, 120 million people that will get lost in their nachos and beer. Because in America, especially in the West, the devil knows that he can hypnotize the masses through entertainment. It's why we're always thinking about the next trip, the next movie, the next download, the next iPhone. Can I escape my problems through some sort of entertainment? And the devil is happy to dish it out. He has constantly, always, always a hook. I was told $16 billion are going to be wagered on the game today. Why? Because the enemy has ways of saying, hey, you got pain, I have the pill. I want to encourage you to do what the Thessalonians did when they heard the gospel. And that was they turned from their gods to serve the living and true God. That's repentance. What's shocking about all of this is that men and women don't repent. So then what happens? The final battle. Verses 12 through 16. The sixth angel poured out. His bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare a way from the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of the Almighty. The frogs here, the frogs here, don't get caught up too much in that. That is symbolic. Frogs have always symbolized for the Jewish people demonic activity. And the, 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 the frogs here that, that are being uh, addressed are symbols of realities. What are the realities? Demons. Where are the demons? They are in the halls of presidents and kings. There are ten kings led by one king of kings, the Antichrist, at the very end of time. And they are influenced, they are influenced by demons for a confluence against God. How in the world will all of these kings desire to come together against God? Well, ultimately, it's because it's God's plan. Revelation 17, 17 says, For God has put it in their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind and handing over the royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. God's still in control. And that's why Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go naked and exposed. This is God saying, as you are a believer, especially in the end times, and if you are alive in the end times, which those of us who are saved are not, we take this to heart now, and we do what they are to do, that is to keep our battle garments on. Battle garments on. We're at war. 
there's a cosmic battle going on that will lead to an ultimate battle on earth, verse 16, and they assembled in the place that is called Armageddon. That's a real place. I've been there. I've seen the valley. It is, as some have said, the most perfect stage for battle in all of the world. We're going to talk more specifically about that. You might have questions. Is this Megiddo? Is this Magog? Yes, it is. Verse 17 through 21, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple saying from the throne of God, it is, it is done. It is finished. And there were flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there's never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. There are always earthquakes. We just this week had an incredible, terrible earthquake in Turkey and Syria. We've been told almost 22,000 people have lost their lives now. And what, what are we doing? We're responding every way we can. We have missionaries. We have relief efforts going on. Um, money being sent, trying to rescue. It's been interesting and glorious to hear some of the amazing rescue accounts. But what if? What if we knew before earthquakes occurred, we knew they were going to occur. And not only do we know they were going to occur, we had it within our power to evacuate everyone in the destructive path of an earthquake and have them placed in a safe area so that they are free of hurt. What if? What if? Not, not what if, right? There is coming one day an ultimate judgment where the world will be under the hand and wrath of God. And we are the people with the ministry of reconciliation that are, are to call people out of their sin and into Christ. It is one of the most difficult things we do as a Christian. It is one thing to invite someone to church, and I'm glad you do, because like 80 some odd percent of people who come to church come because somebody personally invited them. It is a great, wonderful thing to do. I want to encourage you to invite people to church. I'm here today because somebody came to my lost dad and invited him to church. I want to encourage you that. But we even may call beyond inviting people to church to invite people to Christ, which means if we're inviting them to Christ, we're calling them to repentance out of their sin and a rebellion against God to come to Christ. That is what we do with this. This is what we read in verse 19. The great city was split into three parts. Nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drink of the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. It is when God judges the earth ultimately with his wrath that the entire landscape of the world changes. When I read verse 19, I can't help but think about that cup, the cup of God's wrath. Do you recall another place in Scripture where we read about the cup of God's wrath? Think about Jesus. When Jesus was on uh, the cross, he was offered sour wine, and there he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He did that because he made a decision. In the Garden of Gethsemane, and even in eternity past, to do the will of God. When Jesus was going to the cross, he stopped in this garden to pray, God, let this cup pass from me. What cup? 
Jesus was going to absorb. You think the wrath of God is shocking. It's even more surprising that Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God on the cross. Knew that he was going to. And said to the Father, if there's another way, if there's another way, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. And what did the Father say? There's, there's no other way. He did not answer the prayer of his son. We understand that, don't we? Because the father knew what was best. And the Lord Jesus Christ certainly was willing to receive the cup, no doubt about it. But don't miss the humanity of the Holy, of the, of the Holy Second Person of the Trinity here who's taking our place. Sweating great drops of blood. We're told the night Jesus was crucified, it was cold. People warming themselves by fire. Peter was there by the fire because it was cold. Here Jesus is in the cold, sweating. The Father says no. We understand that, don't we? We understand that. I mean, there was a kid that went to college and he wrote his dad a text. said, Dad, no mun, no fun, your son. The dad, following that uh, poetic influence, he said, too bad, so sad, dad. Every dad knows what it means to say no because there's a better yes. In the garden, the father said no. Take the cup. And then what did Jesus say? Well, we say it all the time, don't we? Not my will, your will. Not my will, your will. In Revelation 15 and 16, you have the opposite being prayed by the people of the earth who have rebelled against God. God, not your will, but my will. There's a preacher telling us the story of how they sat next to his brother-in-law in church and they were singing the song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, Have Thine Own Way. The brother-in-law was singing it inadvertently. Didn't know that he was doing this. Even after he was told he was doing this, didn't think that he did. But he was singing this, have my own way, Lord. Have my own way. That's what the people of the earth are praying. We want our way, God. We want our way. It wasn't that the people of the earth in the last were rejecting God. They were rejecting the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted their way and they wanted God at the same time. It's like what James said to his church. The reason you pray and don't get what you want is because you're praying your lust. You're asking God for what you're lusting after. In other words, it's not that these are rejecting God. They're rejecting God's rule through his son Jesus Christ. And today you might be a person of faith. You may be a spiritual person, but if you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never surrendered your life to him and repented of your sin, he is not your Lord. You right now are under the judgment of God. Repent, turn and come to him. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you that you've given us this text to tell us what is to come and to tell us, Lord, through it, what it is we are to do today. May we be obedient to you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.